want to talk about what occurred after Jesus um, refused to be made king. And we talked about uh, in the last message a couple of weeks ago, um, the man who would not be king, and at least not the way they wanted him to be. And that was Jesus. And so I would like us, if we can, to look at Mark 6, verse 45 as a starting point. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, the other side of the Sea of Galilee, the Lake of, Lake of Gennesaret, as it's often called. He told his disciples, get in the boat, go to the other side, go to Bethsaida, while he sent the multitude away. And so this, uh, the thing that we notice right away in this verse is the first word in that verse, immediately. And anytime that comes up, it has this idea of now. Uh, he made his disciples get into the boat, and there's a real sense of intensity to this verse that's just automatically right there. He made them without hesitation, without delay. I want you to get in the boat, and I want you to go. And there's that sense that of two different reasons why he did that. Uh, we know that there were two things that occurred that led up to him saying this to his disciples. The first one of those things was that he did this amazing miracle. One of the great miracles of the Bible that Jesus is recorded as doing is the feeding of the 5,000. It was an astonishing thing that he did. The crowds had gathered together. He fed them. They immediately, as, as we talked about a few weeks ago, they felt an immediate connection with Jesus that he was the promised one, the one who could do mighty, amazing things, and therefore they wanted him uh, to become their king. And that was the second thing we talked about. It's not really recorded in Mark's account, but in John, we're told, and we'll put this verse up just as a way of jogging everyone's memory, in John 6, it says that that multitude, after Jesus did the miracle, was so um, filled with electricity they were so euphoric and almost mob-like in their perspective that they just wanted to grab Jesus by force and make him the king, make him declare himself as the leader, the promised one. They had in mind that this is the one who brings with him the power of God, who will free us from Rome. He's going to lead the revolution we've been waiting for. He's Messiah, and we want you to do this now. And there was this feeling that Jesus had to step up and everybody wanted him to. They wanted, to, again, the phrase that catches us right there, it's a very curious, that curious statement, take him by force and make him king. And there's something about that that you go, you know, Jesus sensing that what they were trying to do, that they could even do that, but they wanted to harness him. They wanted him to take a different path than the one that he had been assigned. He knew that. And so he does two things. First thing he does is he, tells the disciples, Let's get, the crowds need to go home. I'm not going to do what they want. They need to go home. Tell them to go. And then, much probably to the surprise of his disciples, Jesus turns to them and he says, and you know what? I want you to go too. In fact, I want you to get in the boat. I want you to go to the other side of the lake. Um, and I want you to do it now. Well, what about you, Lord? Don't worry. I have other means of transportation. I'll, I'll get there, as you'll see. Um, <laughs> But the fact of the matter was that he tells them to go, and they must have been a little bit startled by it. But most likely the reason was is because instead of helping him, they were actually hurting him. I mean, we know the disciples loved Jesus. I mean, they were very devoted to him. They believed in him. But like many of us, they had other things inside of their heart. They had a lot of ambition, too. They wanted him to do things for them, too. And so I can imagine that part of the reason Jesus wanted to dis dismiss both the multitudes and his disciples is because they had joined in with some of this. Yes, Lord. Yes, that's why you've come. We believe in you. And this idea is Jesus saying, you know what? This is not the way for me. 
And I need right now, and we're told very clearly, he says this, I, I want to be alone. And in fact, we're told in verse 46, notice that it says, and when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. And now when the evening had come, the boat was in the middle of the sea, but he was alone on the land. And it were, you, know, you can go to the Sea of Galilee today, and it's very picturesque. And it's beautiful, actually. It's peaceful at times. It's filled with pastel colors. And most of the time, especially in the sunrise and sunset, it's just a gorgeous place with a gentle breeze. It's surrounded by mountains. It's actually shaped like a harp. That's why they call it Knesset, like a harp. But, when you, but if you get up, if you get around the rolling hills that surround it, you can see how this Jesus, what he would have done. He would have gone to one of the high points. That's when it says he got alone. You know, what's interesting is because we talked about this. In, in the past, there were times where Jesus had said to his disciples, we need to get alone together. So he had talked about this principle of community solitude, the idea of getting away from the crowds and the activity with others to sort of be able to replenish ourselves together, to enjoy one another's company, to be able to talk about God together, to be able to pull out of our activity, to rest, recover, recuperate together. This idea of community solitude as a spiritual, spiritual discipline, as a way of, of getting refreshed and renewed and enjoying fellowship and engaging people relationally in a small group way. Might be with a few friends or a, a small group. Jesus had done that and, was, and had, had oftentimes talked about them getting away together, but in this case, he tells them, I want to get away, but I don't want you with me. I need to be alone with the Father. And it's interesting because he goes up to the high place, to the mountain. And it's there that he is alone. And he, he begins to just, um, and I was, I was kind of struck by it because, I mean, he's, he, it's almost like Jesus is modeling for us one of the healthiest things we can ever do in our, in our walk with God. And that has to do with center, centering ourselves on what really matters. Uh, one, of the, one of the great verses of the, in, the, in the Older Testament is found in Isaiah 26, 3. It says this. It says, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind, and I'm going to, if we could, in, with, just in our own mind's eye, underline the idea of stayed. Whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. You will keep us in peace if our mind is stayed on you. Stayed, fixed, fashioned, anchored, locked into, settled upon. Uh, this idea of, of concentrating our thoughts upon the things of God. You will keep us in peace. The Lord will fill us with his peace, which gives us staying power. But it's, it requires an intentional decision on our part to pull back. And again, uh, I think this, that one of the things that Jesus shows us is the power of staying ourselves um, focusing ourselves. I mean, Jesus pulls away from the pulling voices. Listen, he pulls away from the pulling voices to hear the one voice that really matters. And it truly is one of the great principles of the Christian life that the way to ultimately move and expand with God is exactly the opposite of action sometimes. Jesus models for us this amazing rhythm um, this sort of the, the front stroke of activity and the back stroke of, of reflection. This idea of pulling in and out. This idea of refusing to be defined by what was going on. Get caught up in the swirl of it all. But to gain perspective and a vantage point. 
you know, one of the things, I, I tend to do a lot of backpacking. One of the things I, I've come to realize over the years is that a lot of times when I'm in, stuck in the middle of a, of a, a trail that's not so clear down below in the trees or in the place where the trail is sometimes hard to decipher, in those places down below, it's hard to actually see where things are going or where our lake is in relation to where we are. But when you get up high, your vantage point is dramatically altered and you can see things in context in a different way than when we were stuck in the middle of it. And I want to suggest that sometimes one of the secrets, and certainly is modeled by Jesus right here, one of the keys to not getting just sort of lost in the activity and the stress and the action of life is to say, look, when I'm feeling the pressure, I want to pull back and uh, I'm going to be alone with God at the high place, as it were. And there's something about this, what he models for us, the wisdom of pulling out when the pressure is on, not to disengage from life, not to just sort of surrender and quit, but to be able to keep the focus in the right place, to get the proper vantage point. Because a lot of times when we're in the middle of things, we're so worried, we're so anxious, we're so stressed, we're so busy that we're not seeing clearly, our priorities are out of whack. Um, then we are susceptible, listen, to the voices that come at us. One of the beautiful things that Jesus does is he refuses to alter his ultimate call. He knew what he was supposed to do, but it was a real temptation. I mean, there, there, were, there was pressure being applied to skip the cross, go another way. It's the same thing that he was tempted at, at the very beginning. Take the easier path. And Jesus pulls back in that moment, modeling for anyone who would follow him the wisdom of gaining space, taking time, staying ourselves in a a place where we're, we're opening up to God's word, asking the Lord to speak to us, reminding ourselves of what really matters, not letting ourselves get caught up in negative thought patterns or in foolish pursuits that are going to undermine the real purpose of God that he wants to establish in our life. Now listen to me. I understand that it's hard for some of us to be alone. I get that. Uh, And there's a difference between choosing to be alone and being lonely, I think. I think that's obvious. But, but, you know, we we all need people. But there is something about also being alone and the times that we need to be alone. And I'm not just talking about alone as in the absence of other people with us, although that's the direct context here. I'm actually talking about being alone when it comes to all the, the intruding voices that come to us in this life, especially living in an urban metroplex like the one we do. At such a time in the history of the world like this, there's never been a time like it. I mean, we live in amazing times. I suppose at one level, every generation could say it. But... We, are, we take for granted um, technology that would have seemed inconceivable just 100 years ago. We hold in a hand devices that allow us to get, get connection to, to information that would have been inconceivable to people who were the greatest scholars and collectors of information ever. I mean, it's stunning what, what you can carry with you in a purse or on your side or in your hand, what a phone can do the amazing applications that allow us to always stay connected. And what the, there's the, one of the amazing things about it is that, you know, there's so much options that we always have. 
I mean, we, you know, I, I'm really, I'm, when I think about the voices of life, I'm thinking about things like technology and, and, t and television and, and entertainment and emails and, and uh, Facebook and all the things that we get engaged. And, and again, you think about what, what we have so uh, as such a real part of our life. I was talking to my wife because she got a new phone. And I said, you know, you spend a lot of time with that phone. I said, that, that, she goes, I love it. It's my friend. <laughs> she was joking. She said, make sure you tell them I'm joking. And I, I, I said, but the, the funny thing was, is I really, she, was, she was showing me all the stuff that, that, that she was able to do. I thought, you know what? I go, that's an amazing device. And she was, there were others were talking, and they were going over. I go, that's an amazing device. I go, you know one of the downsides, I, one of the concerns I have is that you're, we're always connected. Always. Wherever we go, we're just connected. Information. Access. People, emails, checking in on us. It's just not, it's, you know what? It, I'll tell you what, it's going to require a higher degree of discipline to create boundaries so that we don't get swamped by what is so easy to fall into. Because I'm going to tell you something, it's going to require a degree of self-control if we're going to create the proper amount of space that we need to create in order to hear from God. Because you can't, you know, here's the thing. We, we can't often hear from the Lord when we're just engaged all the time with voices and things and emails and texts and this and that. And we're always here and we're always connected and we never have time. You know, in older generations, they had time to walk to places and you couldn't get a hold of them. People had time when they were working. There was, there were, there was disconnections that was built into the life and the way of living. We don't live like that anymore. As a result, this principle is even more significant than ever, especially at a time like this. There, there is a real need on our part to follow the example of the Lord as he lived his life for us to show us the way of what healthy life looks like with God, particularly. And one of the things he models is that he, he was able to pull out when the voices were intruding and listen for the voice of the Father and to remind himself, to recalibrate, to re-engage. So I say all that because I think it's extraordinarily relevant. Now, we go back to the text here, if you can, real quickly, back to verse 47. It says this, now, when evening had come, the boat was in the middle of the sea, because I want to get somewhere um, in the minutes that we have left that is also meaningful to me, and I hope will be a word to some of us that will strengthen us. So look at this. It says, now it says, when evening had come, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. We talked about this, how he, would be in the, he was in the mountain. He was able to watch what was going on. If you go into one of the mountain heights around the little hills around the seas of, Sea of Galilee, you can easily see the lake, and you can see what's on the lake. You can see the boats that are coming and going. And so Jesus was up high, and he was watching what was happening. Look what it says. It says that when evening had come, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. And then he saw them straining at rowing, because what had happened was, as they were making their way across, it says the wind was against them. All of a sudden, what had been a pretty tranquil sea, all of a sudden, it started, the wind started to rise. And they had seen this happen before. The, uh, the disciples, many of them were seasoned fishermen who had, lab their occupation was to labor on the Sea of Galilee. They were not just caught, they were not just, uh, you know, caught off guard by these things. But when it says that they were straining at rowing, it means that because the wind was not going with them. So the sails were in no longer of any real value at that point. And it says that they were rowing to get across. But the wind was hard, and they were straining. And one of the interesting things about this word, if you, if you look it up in, its original, in the original languages, the word that we translate in this text is straining. 
which is kind of descriptive in its own right, you know, kind of like really working at it. Uh, it actually can be described as being, dis- uh, how do you say, distressed, but the two words that caught me, tormented or tortured. This idea of just really being pushed to the limits in a painful way, that, that it was really hard. They were really struggling because the wind and the waves were against them. And they were having a hard time. They weren't making any progress. And they were actually having difficulty to the point where it was really hard. And he, Jesus saw them straining at the rowing. He saw them fighting this and how hard it was. And, and we're told that it was at the fourth watch between 3 and 6 a.m., and, and the Bible, look what the Bible goes on to say. It says in verse 40, 47, it says, When evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. And then he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea, and he would have passed them by. Which, by the way, from a devotional standpoint, it's a wonderful reminder that even that phrase, would have passed them by, it's a wonderful reminder that even when he comes to us in our distress, we must be looking for him. Or we may miss him. There's something about that. Verse 49, and when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost. They cried out, as any of us would have. Like, what is, they th- they, so what is you know, what is that? What is that? Is, and then it says they all saw him, and they were troubled. They were, they were deeply concerned. They were perplexed, traumatized, scared to death. But immediately he talked with them, and he said to them, be of good cheer. Do not be afraid. It is I. Do not be afraid. Be filled with courage. Let goodness fill you. It is, not, it is me. I am here. And then it says that then he went up into the boat and the wind ceased and they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure. And this whole recorded incident is remarkable at a number of levels because it's a mixture of the natural and the supernatural, isn't it? I mean, and we know the almost superstitious reaction of the disciples as they witnessed Jesus walking on the sea. It's, and by the way, it's stated with such straightforwardness, so matter-of-factly, with so little, little, little qualification or explanation that it almost catches us off guard which is exactly what it did to the, to the terrified disciples who were, were, thought they were seeing some type of a spirit or a ghost on the seas. And that's what we're told. I looked at this passage, and I just got, I said, Lord, you know what? There's so much here for us. And so the first thing I want to suggest, and I'm going I'm I'm to sort of preface what I'm about to say. There was a, I was struck by something in this passage, but I need to preface what I'm about to say that that when we talk about the storms of life, listen, we're talking about the things in life that are very hard, the adversity that, that we're walking through. We're talking about the storms that come upon us, just like a few days ago out of nowhere. It's sunny one day, and all of a sudden, we're in the middle of a storm. And the winds are blowing, and it's, and it's starting to rain, and the waves are rising, and we can't get anywhere, and we're stuck, and we're having not just an easy, we're having a hard time. The storms of life are those places of adversity and struggle where it's difficult, where we're, what we call them a trial. It's hard. Something happens to us, happens around us, happens in our relationships, very difficult. And we're struggling, our faith being challenged. The storms of life most often are associated with things that we we couldn't have controlled. They usually don't come from God. They usually come from things like choices that were made or choices that other people make that were affected by maybe their reckless, thoughtless decisions, but they affect our lives. We're brought into the storm with it. Sometimes we're our own own enemy, we, we do it to ourselves. Sometimes it's just something that we wandered into and all of a sudden we're in the middle of a mess and it's hard and it's tough. We, we live in a broken world. And even though Jesus came, as it were, 
to reverse the curse, there's still a brokenness that essentially affects life. There are unfair things that happen. There are things that don't go right. There's a part of life on this side of eternity that even after what Jesus has said he has come to do is still going to not always go in the way we wanted it to go. There will be times. Listen, Jesus said, in this world, in this world, he says, look, look at me. He tells his disciples, listen to me. I'm not going to sell you a bill of goods. In this world, you will have tribulation. Just don't, don't forget that. There will be difficult times. Following me does not mean no difficulty. But listen, I will always be with you. Listen, there are things that I can do in the midst of the difficult places. Learn to trust me. There's this, it's, it's, a, it's a great truth. We get into storms in life, but many of those storms are our own doing. Or we get it, we understand that it, it, it happened. But you know what was amazing about this? The disciples found themselves in a storm, didn't they? But this storm, and here's our first thought, this storm was something that Jesus sent them into. And that is worth noting. There are some times when he sends his committed followers into a storm. Now, now listen to me. I know that doesn't make sense on the surface. But the fact remains that there are moments where the Lord is, is, you cannot miss it. I mean, he sends them. He's the one that tells them, right? He says, you go. You go. I want you to go across the Sea of Galilee. He made them cross the sea, right? He sent them there. It was Jesus' decision. He sent them in that direction, knowing what was going to come. And, you know, I thought about it. Listen, there will be times when it is our obedience. You know, listen, that leads us into the stream. There will be times when we will we'll be tempted to say, this is from hell, and it's not. It's actually connected to an obedient path. They wouldn't have been in that place straining if they hadn't obeyed the Lord. Now, I'm, again, I'm saying most storms in life don't come from God. He doesn't send us into them. And I'm not even saying it's always clear as to what is what, but, and, I, and I understand this. The Lord is always with us, and he always takes the good. So I, someone said, well, how do I know? How do I know which one's which? God always has something to teach us in whatever place we are in. I said, but there are actually some storms where the Lord actually sends us there because you know why? He's trying to get our attention. He's trying to grow us, shape us, mold us, renew us. Maybe sometimes he actually want us, wants us to be open to change that we would have been unwilling to embrace because we, as human beings, are notoriously resistant to change. And frequently, we cannot move forward with the things that God wants to do in our lives if we're so stuck in our security. So God periodically reminds us. Again, there are some times. This is one of the rare moments where the Bible is actually recorded as Jesus sending someone into the difficult place. But there are times where God's love for us sends us into a place where we learn to know him in a new way. The, the fact is sometimes it will not always be easy to dis decipher which one is which. And, and I get it. Most of the storms in life have nothing to do with God sending us there. He just wants to be with us in them. But let's, let me put this as, as the second piece. The fact is that there will be in all of our lives times when the wind is against us. And the longer we live, I know some of, some of us in this um, gathered audience together here, the church service at this present moment, are younger in years. But the longer we live, the more clear it becomes that there are times in life when the winds are against us. And it's hard to row. I was talking to someone who was a part of the Coast Guard last evening after service, and they said to me, you know, it's interesting, he says, because 
He says, you understand when the gale and the storm is really fierce, he goes, even, this, this is what he said to me, he goes, even experienced seamen would be very cautious to try to turn a boat and go back where they came from because the whole thing could flip. They said a lot of times what you just got to do is you just got to keep pushing and uh, get through. And that's the picture of the disciples. They were asked to go across. They're doing what they were told. And they're having a really hard time in their obedience. And, that, and again, I understand that there are times where things will come at us. And I was, I was thinking about it a lot lately because um, there, are, there are times where we do know that, that the wind is against us. And it's really hard uh, it might have to do with some relationships that we're in that are just uh, just breaking our heart. And it's so hard. I was talking to someone and I just felt their pain. And they felt so unloved. And it was hard. And I could see them just rowing. I know some of us, it has things, sometimes our hard place, the storm is connected to our health, sometimes it's connected to our finances. It might even be in this time, kind of, with some of us struggling with employment issues, self-worth issues. You know, hard stuff. Trusting God, hard. You know, getting past things sometimes. Sometimes we're, we're our own worst enemy. Sometimes the, the hardest thing is coming to grips with our own weakness, that we struggle so hard. Sometimes we get stuck in addictive patterns, destructive things, uh, sinful things that, that we don't even worry, even ashamed of them. We don't even want to talk about them. We're stuck. We're having a hard time. We feel like we're going under. You got to remember the disciples, they were rowing so hard. I mean, I think the question wasn't even like, are we going to get across? It's like, well, we're going to survive. And sometimes we feel that way. Can I even survive, Lord? Are you going to get me through this? Because I'm, I'm we're in trouble. And that's the, that's the point is a lot of times, maybe we walked into this day feeling like we have been really rowing hard. And we're trying to do what God wants to do, but it is hard. And I want to say something to all of us in, that, in this place. And it may be not us, it may be someone we love. But the fact is, take this and let us remember this. And it's the third piece, that not only did he see them in their distress and their struggling place, but he came to them in it. And I thank the Lord that he will never leave us nor forsake us. That he is an ever-present help in time of trouble. That the solution is not getting mad at God or doubting his goodness. The solution is welcoming him into our situation, into the struggle. The fact is that a lot of times we understand that the real difficulty is not the problem, but the way we're handling the problem. That sometimes the greater issue is not actually what we're facing. It's how that what we're facing is affecting us. We're not sleeping. You know, there was something that I was working through, and it was an interesting thing that I felt come over me, like a spirit of fear. And I remembered feeling that spirit. It was like a, like a panic. I thought, Lord, I know this. Can I know you're calling me to take a stance of faith. Give me courage. Come against that fear in your name. Lord, I look to you in this moment. Help me. Because sometimes our fear is so strong that we're not going to make it. This is going to happen. This bad thing is going to define us. Where are you, God? You're nowhere. I'm rowing. I'm so hard. It's so long. When are you going to show up? See, see, the thing is, that's why the Bible reminds us to continue to stay close to the Lord. 
And, and the fact of the matter is there's this great verse that many of us are aware of, but in Timothy that I remind myself on a regular basis, and it's just something that I've committed as part of my life. I talk about it a lot in church, and it says that what you just see, that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a soundness of mind. That the spirit of fear, I was looking at that. What is the spirit of fear? It's that sense of dread, ominous dis- depression, discouragement, hopelessness that wants to plant itself in our situation, define it. We begin to get negative. We begin to let doubt creep in. We begin to get afraid. Listen, you know what the, the fear does? Fear when it is allowed to creep in at this level, it undermines our ability to act with wisdom, to think with creativity, and to remain optimistic. And as a result, it paralyzes our ability to be problem solvers. And God has given us the ability to work through things and to learn how to trust him and to think well. And I'm going to tell you that the real challenge a lot of times is in the middle of the storm is to keep in a right place. Whatever it is, stay cl- keep him in the boat and the sea will calm. We can be in the middle of a storm and at peace. And listen, I've watched people who are in the middle of peaceful waters and they have a storm inside. To be with him. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, the scripture says, let your requests be made known unto God and the peace of God that passes all understanding will keep your heart and mind through Christ Jesus our Lord. That we need to come to him with confidence and faith and welcome him into our situation that he wants to stay with us if we invite him to stay. And a lot of times he allows things to come so that we can refocus our concentration in a right direction. Sometimes it's like God's given us a shove and saying, let me help you get along the way you need to go. Lord, I ask that as we're here, prepared to complete our time together with the closing song and then our time of giving, I pray, Lord, that you would underscore the value and the importance of learning how to walk with you through the difficult places, the stormy places of life that, that would overwhelm us, Lord. At, at the core, we have been, anybody who follows you, Lord, we have, what we have signed on for is to be a hopeful people. Because with God, nothing is impossible. And Lord, your arm is not short. And there are times, Lord, when we, it looks very bad. And we may even say, well, we brought it on ourselves. But Lord, you teach us that your grace is so amazing, that your mercy is so long, that you're, you are so for us, that you not only gave your only begotten son, and how can we repay you for that gift? But Lord, that you have made it possible for us to live as your friends, as beloved sons and daughters of the King. And I pray, Lord, that you would remind us in our difficult place when the rowing is hard and it's and we're filled with pain, trying to do what we think you've called us to do, Lord, that you would meet us in that place and strengthen our hand and our good, good resolve. And I pray, Lord, that you would fill us with courage to stay in the place you have for us to stay, for you will keep the one in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because we trust in you. So I pray, Lord, grow us, work with us, shape us, mold us, keep chiseling away, those things, Lord, that would undermine our ability to move forward, to bless people, to be the blessing we were meant to be wherever we go. I pray that you keep working in our lives. And if it has to be every now and then through a storm that you teach us something, that's okay too, Lord. Give us courage. Pray for your blessing over our closing time here. Um, Just pray that you would just not let us run fast from this word, but consider what you're saying to us. And we ask for your good, blessing 
in Jesus' name.